Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Chris Whitten, myself, and Steve Becker. And you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Today's guest is Martin Trafford. He's best known for um, being an illustrator and graphic artist and uh, under the website moniker Trafart. Welcome, Martin. How are you doing today? Hi. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, before we get started, is there anything that you're currently working on or anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, I've usually got a few things on the go at once. So, I mean, at the moment, um, we're promoting um, the uh, through Cult Epics. I've collaborated on a uh, limited VHS box set of uh, Yogbert Greit's Their Todas Game. Um, so that's, that's been vlogged at the moment, a very limited edition. Um, I've done a bunch of art prints for it, so it's looking pretty. Mm. Um, I'm also currently working with Anthony Cotter on the next Sharp Knives comic, mm-hmm. and I'm working with a production company called Vile Video Productions on uh, uh, currently a release of my friend René Weisner's uh, short Mondo movies uh, called Pulp Films. Mm-hmm. So that's due out uh, this month. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Well, I think that's it at the moment. I get well, that's all. Just just those five things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know that uh, Jorg also did Der, the Der Toad's King. Is that you said? Yeah, Der Toad's King. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, The Death King. Yeah, great movie. <laughs> and apparently directed Lex. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, yes. Yeah, an episode of Lex. Yeah. A... And I think he was in an episode as well, briefly. Yes. Appears to be a Lex reboot. No, no, that's the same people. Okay, good God, that's yeah. I think that was that was a German Canadian collaboration. I think Hmm. Lex the Dark Side. Yeah, just remember that from. I don't know. I've slept slept since then, but uh, (laughs) yeah, as far as as I recall, quite a while since I've seen any of that show. (laughs) Oh hell yes, yeah. When was that? Early nineties? I think so. I know it was. It was in the same era as things like Red Dwarf and Space Above and Beyond. Good old nineties yeah. yeah. sci-fi space TV show. Yeah, classics. <laughs> I'll say it. Our TV sucks. Can't I can't have six, but killing people is quite alright. Exactly. <laughs> uh, speaking of graphic things and things of that nature, before we get started, a little information for you and for the listeners. Here are your trigger warnings. <laughs> We're gonna be talking about horror movies or horrific things, which could involve anything from murder, rape, suicide, child abuse. There will be F bombs. So that's not something you're prepared for. Please take a moment and maybe come back and join us when you're ready to hear F words like fuck. I said it. <laughs> and I'll say it again. Fuck. Also feck. Fuck. <laughs> All right. So in this interview, we're going to be asking three sets of questions covering your childhood, teenage years and adulthood to find out what it is exactly about horror that you liked or uh, liked at the time, what influenced you, also what things about horror you maybe didn't like or scared you at the time. Um, uh, coming at the questions from multiple angles, because sometimes it triggers different memories, like something you may not have mentioned in childhood, you're in the middle of adolescence, and you're like, oh yeah, there was that one thing that, that scared the ever-living shit out of me when I was a child. I forgot about that. So, that's an interesting take on the whole thing. Uh, that being said, though, this is not meant to be a therapy session, so 
if you don't want to answer any questions, you can just say pass. We'll move on past it. Okay. All right then. All right. So starting off with childhood, what are some of the uh, earliest scary? What are some of the earliest memories you have of scary things or, or scary stories, films, or anything that maybe uh, inspired you or, or scared you when you were a kid? In the early 80s, I think about 82 or something, is when the, the whole VHS boom happened. So my, my mother bought a, a VHS player and rented out the first two VHS, and we were all very excited. And she rented out for us kids um, some Donald Duck cartoon thing, and also rented out a movie called Dead and Buried. So Dead, Dead and Buried was um, like one of the infamous video nasties um, when all that kicked off in the UK. Um, but I always remember the, the opening scene of Dead and Buried is um, a guy on a beach um, taking photographs. A pretty girl comes up to him and he starts taking pictures of the girl and then within seconds there's a, a, a horrible uh, turnaround and she, she's throwing the net over him and they're pouring, all the villagers turn up, they pour gasoline on him and set fire to him. And my, my tiny mind couldn't get around why that lady, the pretty lady, was so nasty what the hell was actually going on. It was very confusing for me and I couldn't uh, I couldn't wrap my head around it at all. And I told her to switch it off. We couldn't watch it any further. But that, that scene, for me, is a very vivid early memory of um, uh, feeling real horror, of feeling scared and confused by something. I would say so, yeah. Watching a man get uh, poured, uh, set on fire when you're six is quite an experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you've had no preparation, you know? Yeah, going from a Donald Duck cartoon to that, it was a, it was a bit jarring. <laughs> Leading off with that, what was the first thing that really scared you? Well, we had this Donald Duck cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wouldn't be the first time that anybody mentioned uh, classic cartoons scaring them as a child. I forgot who it was, but one of our former guests said, um, uh, was it Ratatouille or, or something with crows some early disney film just because the villains were so overly animated and oh, i know what you're talking about night it's on the tip of my tongue too um rockadoodle that was it i think you looked it up and you thought it was rockadoodle and he wasn't sure whether or not there was the same movie yeah oh saying that yeah watership down i saw that at a young age and that, that fucked me up <laughs> yeah i that's, that's not a, that's not a it is not. I, I recently was told by my mother that uh, she showed that to us when I was a kid, and I have no recollection of that movie, so it must have been that traumatic that I just blocked it out. Like I've seen it now since, but I was just talking with my family the other day, and my mom's like, oh yeah, I showed you that when you were kids. What? I, I don't remember this. I think I would have remembered rabbits getting slaughtered. Or you just weren't paying attention, you're playing with your dolls. Yeah, that was probably it. Maybe that's why she didn't care that a child was watching. Like, eh, he's got Transformers. He's fine. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Acting out your own horrors with the Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> so, dead and buried, Watership Down. What else? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, going back to the VHS thing. <clears throat> My mother used to record old Hammer Horror and Universal movies when they, they were on in the UK. It's sort of three or four in the morning um, and um, yeah the one that stuck with me probably the most was the Monster Club mm-hmm. um, Vincent Price and yeah it was it's kind of a comedy horror <clears throat> there's a lot of whimsy involved in that movie um, but there was there was one section I don't think each section had a name but I just remember it the, the Whistler um, this creepy guy that uh, 
when he whistled, he had a high-pitched whistle and, and organic matter around him would melt. Um, so he sort of whistled at a cat and completely melted this cat. And then That's a hell of a I whistle. Think the story culminates with him whistling at a woman. And yeah, I don't, you don't see what happens to the woman, I don't think. That idea of, of you know, simply being able to whistle and completely melt mm. something, yeah. uh, that was pretty horrific for me as well. And I remember being very confused by there's a little that sort of half animated scene where a woman's stripping, which is a real footage of this woman on, on the stage stripping in this club mm. that they're in. Um, but then when she gets down to her underwear, it sort of goes to silhouettes and she peels her arms off and all, all of her skin and then she's <laughs> just a dancing skeleton. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that kind of fascinated me. I was, it was a pretty girl taking her clothes off and all, but <laughs> when it got down to a stripping of skin and viscera off and down to a dancing skeleton on that, that idea really it's funny you know the way that's delivered it's almost like that's one of the questions that we kind of try to get to the core of with these interviews is you know what is it that entices people into horrific things or them dark and macabre but that's almost like a a direct way of engineering that because you have the sexy and seductive attraction which you know uh, smoothly slides into horrific and before you know it you're just like i like this too <laughs> <laughs> well, that was kind of a common trope uh, in some of the cartoons because I I'd, I'd never seen that movie, but I can think of at least one or two cases where the cartoons would do something exactly like that. It was a strip tease, but the joke was that you were going to strip off everything, including your your skin as well as the clothing. Um, okay, yeah, more of a cartoony version of it, less yeah. uh, you know blood, muscles, and viscera. Just the skin comes off, and it's like clothing, and there's a cartoon skeleton underneath it. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, that's exactly what, what happens in the movie. Yeah. yeah, if you don't, you don't see blood dripping or anything, you know, quite as creative as that. But yeah, pe- peeling off the skin and muscles, like the arms, degloving them. Yeah, but yeah, that that, that really stuck with. And um, I mean, as far as literature and things, when I was a kid, I used to um, I used to collect uh, Scream comics. Um, and, and that's what also got me interested in drawing the screen comics. Um, cause I used to redraw panels of that. Well, Scream the name of the comic? Um, or Scream was the name of the comic. It was a British comic. There were only 14 um, issues. And then, uh, well, the, the, the rumor is it was banned because it was fancy scary <laughs> for children. <laughs> but it was absolutely fantastic. I've, I've later gone on to collect all the issues again. Um, it's a little bit like uh, sort of Tales from the Crypt style. Um, almost like Creepshow. Mm-hmm. And I think it probably came out about the same time as Creepshow, actually. I don't know, just looking, um, that. looking pictures up on it, it looks similar to like Archie Bunker, almost. Mm. The screen comics that I found, anyway. Um, but I'm not surprised to hear that you're yeah. a fan of uh, things like Creepshow and Tales from the Crypt, because it uh, definitely shows in your work. That was a compliment. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah no, I'll take that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that inspired me greatly as a kid. And, um, yeah, speaking of art, um, going back to the VHS thing again, just being in, you know, 80s VHS stores, pre-video nasty mm-hmm. era, it used to blow my mind. I'd be one of the kids that would spend hours just staring at the covers mm-hmm. of the VHS. Mm-hmm. And, and then and then I went on to, you know, hassling the store owners to give me old posters and things. <laughs> <when I finished laughs> nice. Um, yeah, through, through that I discovered the... Uh, the art of Graham Humphreys. Um, 
and he, I'm still a big fan to this day of Graham. He's such a nice guy as well. I've chatted with him a few times. Um, but he did the uh, the original VHS arts in the UK for the Evil Dead. Um, oh, really? And the Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and 2. In fact, I think he did a bunch of Nightmare on Elm Street. Couple. Okay. Yeah, I know this um, man's work. I just didn't know I knew it. And... Yeah, well, but this, is, this is it, because it was everywhere back in the day. Um, and, and yeah, his work was a big influence on me. So I used to get, you know, the um, VHS trade magazines um, to show you what's coming soon, etc. And, and there was always a ton of his work in there. I'd, I'd just sit as a child and draw it and redraw it and try and uh, get my head around his, his line work and, and the way he put things down. And yeah. He's, he's still amazing. The man's still amazing. So we've got Dead and Buried, Hammer Horror, Monster Club, Whistler, Watership Down, Scream Comics, and movie posters. Yeah. Movie posters. Oh, and um, there was a TV series called Arthur C. Clarke's World of Strange Powers that I used to love. Um, and that, that would go into a sort of weekly episodes. And, you know, one week it might be telepathy, ESP, the next week aliens, the next week ghosts. Um, and I was fascinated by, by ghosts and the supernatural as a child. The unseen, the unknown, um, I, I guess as a child, you know, what, what's lurking in the shadows kind of deal. And there was one episode in particular where he, it went into the um, Enfield poltergeist, which I think has recently been made as a, one of the Conjuring movies, The Conjuring 2, I think was based on that. Um, but that being in based in the UK and, you know, people that were in similar circumstances to me and my family, um, would have been a council house, single mother, that really stuck with me. Um, and there was a little section where they were playing recordings of, of a sort of seance they'd done with the little girl that the haunting was centred on. And they taped her mouth shut and put water in her mouth and they recorded this voice of, of the old guy that was haunting the place um, coming from her and, and that terrified me to the core when I heard it um, but I was also really fascinated what by was it. it that scared you about it uh, it was the fact that there was no way it could have been faked you know they, they sort of taped her up and everything and, and the fact it was an old man's voice coming from this teenager well not even a teenage girl she was preview person I think 12 years old or something. And again, it's sort of evidence of something other, something else in the background. Um, another world, another plane of existence. Or... So what was it that uh, fascinated you about this other plane of, of existence? I think the fact as a child, you sort of, you, you're very aware of yourself and your own surroundings and, and, and how you're based and where you fit into things. Um, you know, you're still trying to figure all that out, but you, it's very immediate, so you're very aware of it. When you then become aware of something else which seems completely fantastical and not something you would ever think of, um, that adults are talking about, it's, it sort of triggers the fantastical in your brain, I guess, and you, so you sort of start thinking, you know, well, this, this must be real. If these people are talking about this, it must be real. And that at once terrified me and excited me greatly to think that there was something other than physical and the things around you. Uh, I, went, I went on to have a couple of strange experiences 
with the supernatural mm-hmm. myself. Um, you want to tell us about him? You want to hear about him? Yeah. <laughs> Was it in childhood or adolescence? Yeah. Um, childhood. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, verging on adolescence, I guess. Oh, loud. Yeah. <laughs> 10, 10, 11 years old. Uh, one of the major ones <clears throat> was I, I used to visit um, with my family. Um, so we, we used to go camping a lot every few weeks. So we'd go to a, a little seaside village called Whitby in the UK. And uh, Whitby has a great history in that that's where Bram Stoker wrote Dracula. Um, the book, uh, when, when Dracula's the ship arrives that's holding Dracula's coffin, it arrives in Whitby. So there's this whole sort of goth culture in Whitby as well. It's it's a very old old village, cobbled streets and tiny doors and everything. It's it's still pretty much as it was back in the day. Um, but they they have a, a ghost walk as well. It's a being such an old town uh, and attracting this kind of phenomenon. They they do ghost tours, so they take you around the town and tell you the mm-hmm. stories. Um, but before I'd actually been on this tour, I went to. It was a, a wax museum at the time. Um, uh, what was it called? White Horse Inn, I think it was called. Um, but at the time, we I went with a friend of mine. We, we went to visit um, wax museum. There was nobody else in there. It was just me, me and my friend. And yeah, we must have been 10, 11 years old. And um, I mean, wax museums are spooky anyway. Um, but it was on several floors, about five, five floors maybe. Um, but anyway, we got up to the one floor, which was sort of a Charles Dickens exhibition. Um, they had the great expectations for years and things. <clears throat> and I, I walked past a little section of wall that had a uh, kind of a burlap sack nailed to something. It looked like there was something behind this, this sack. So I, I lifted it up and there was a little window in the wall, um, which was hollowed out. And when you looked in there, it was kind of a very strange uh, spiral staircase. Um, just in this tiny little space, there was a staircase going up somewhere. And there was an old chandelier there that looked like it had been there centuries. And as, as soon as I did this, I got this overwhelming uh, fear. Um, what I can only describe as dread, really. It was really, really very scary. Um, I could feel it. It just came on like a wave all of a sudden, um, and the you know the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, and I, I was starting to tear up. I was so scared, and I turned around and looked at my friend, and without saying a word, he was in tears, and he said, "We've got to get out of here." <clears throat> so we <laughs> we both ran down the stairs, terrified, um, and on the way out by the the desk where you, you pay your admi- admission fee, there were um, newspaper clippings on the wall of. Um, uh, some ghost hunter that had stayed there the night and and the history of the place. And we just said to the owner, look, we, something just happened to us. We were up there. And, um, and while we were talking, they had a dog. There was nobody else in the building, and the dog was barking up the stairs where we'd just been. Um, so, the yeah, the owner went on to tell us that, you know, the, yeah, this place is haunted by uh, um, an old smuggler, uh, an old pirate. And they used to use these hidden staircases in the walls and things to smuggle goods and there was a trap door outside the back where some wench girl had fallen down and died and apparently the the pirate's legs have been seen walking around in the chamber of horrors um 
it was just so fantastical. And, but rather than being terrified, I then felt uh, kind of honoured in a way that I had had a peek into something else um, that not many people do experience. And then I, I have another story. You want to hear another just story? Just to, to sum that one up real quick. So you, um, when you looked in the window, there was a spiral staircase and a chandelier. Was there anything paranormal or anything in the window or is it just that sheer feeling of dread that they kind of approached you from inside the window yeah yeah basically just the feeling of dread just like a wave crashing into you um and there was there was there was no reason for me to feel that way i wasn't feeling particularly scared or anything mm-hmm. um i was just being a nosy kid just <laughs> <laughs> there's a curtain i'm gonna peek under it and see what's there and it was almost as if you know this pirate that uh, this malevolent force had said no this is my hidey hole you shouldn't be looking in here something in that window said fuck off <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> so what was the other experience oh yes yeah the other experience um now this was in a little town called huddersfield in yorkshire where i'm from did you and, say Pottersfield? Um, i'd gone there uh, huddersfield yeah i heard Pottersfield too huddersfield yeah yeah, and we'd we'd um we'd gone to a it was a surprise birthday party for a friend of my dad's um, and I, I was one of the only kids that was going to be there we'd, we'd gone to this place um, which was an old uh, youth hostel and it was called the phoenix because the place had actually burned down previously and then they re- rebuilt and you know named it the phoenix um but it was an adult party so the party was going on on the one level and i was sent downstairs to the basement level um where there was a tv and a uh, pool table and various things and then when i'd gone down there there was only one staircase to get up or down and i could see that through the door of the room i was in um, so anybody coming up or down i would have seen and i had a little look around down there and to the to the left side of of the door there was a changing room um, and to the right side there was a sports hall um, an exercise hall and i'd noticed when i went in the changing rooms that somebody had left a pair of braces on a hook and that was the only thing in there which is why i would noticed it um, but i was waiting in the other room watching the tv because i knew that a couple of other friends um, of my father's friends were bringing their kids and then they joined me downstairs and while I was sat there, about an hour or two it passed, and it was deathly quiet down there. And I could hear rattling from the changing room. And it sounded like somebody basically twanging on the braces that were on the hook in there. So I thought, oh, they're here. They've, they've snuck down. They're trying to frighten me. I'll, I'll get them. So I was staring at the door, waiting for them to come in. And it sounds cliche, but what I saw was sort of a white figure with its arm out just shoot up the staircase. And it was so fast it barely registered. But I thought, well, okay, someone's been down and they're messing around and they've gone back up. Um, later, it, it transpired that the, the other kids didn't turn up. So I I was then invited upstairs to the adults' party and, you know, they were drinking and dancing. And the daughter of the guy the party was for had a white pullover on. Okay. So I thought, well, she had a white pullover on. It must have been her that was down there messing right. around. And um, we all settled down to sort of sleep for the night. We all had sleeping bags. We were going to crash there overnight because we, we had the place to ourselves. And then as we were settling down, she said, don't let the ghost get you. Mm-hmm. And 
and went with that my, my, again my hair stood, stood up on the back of my head and I just felt complete and utter fear for a moment and I, and I had to ask her I said what do you mean the ghost and and I said did, did, did you go downstairs earlier was that you and she's like oh no no that'll be the ghost and apparently it was the old caretaker um, had been in the building when it went up in flames um, so they say it's that guy was haunting the place and then she told me a story of, of her and her friends at all um, camped out in the sports hall area downstairs one night and they'd all woken each other up and they were all collectively watching a white figure um, walking around and around inside the sports hall so that was that was pretty terrifying but but again after the fear came that sort of elation that you know oh, I saw a ghost <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that, that that was that but again it's that sort of that feeling of it's it's scary but you feel safe afterwards because it's yeah. already happened and there was nothing you could do about it <laughs> so yeah 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 it's like um, a, a lot of uh, or a, a common thread we've seen in another one of the questions which is you know did you ever have anything happen at this phase of your life that actually terrified which we've kind of already covered inadvertently a couple of times but um mm. heard it a couple of times that it's um Always something in retrospect, like that thing of "oh, I could have died," or you don't you don't yeah, think about yeah. the fear of it at the time, but looking back on it, you realize the uh, the, the danger that you were in. Absolutely. So sorry, I've probably taken up about an hour. Oh yeah, yeah, there was a lot of preamble, and we're only in childhood. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> so, looking at the notes I wrote here about the different items, I think the only one that you said you were legitimately horrified by other than the two stories you just shared was the dead and buried movie. Um, Understandably. Yeah. Um, everything else, it was sort of a mixture of some fear and excitement. Um, yeah. And so far, the main thing I've heard you say about the excitement was that you're fascinated by the idea of there being another plane, either another plane of existence or real things out there in the world that you hadn't experienced yet yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the questions we normally ask here is whether or not you had any friends or family who, uh, participated with you in watching these horror movies. You mentioned your mother had ta been taping the movies, um, so I'm guessing she was some sort of a bit of a horror fan herself. She was, yeah, she was a low key horror fan. Um, <laughs> but she, <laughs> yeah, she used to record these things and just, you know, keep the kids quiet, <laughs> sit down and watch that for an hour or two. <laughs> um, but my, my, my dad was, was very much, um, against, you know, kids watching mm. horror. Um, you know, the, 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 the classification system was there for a reason. He was more the uh, conservative to your mom's liberal. Yeah, yes, yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> and I think part of that, and knowing that my mother would sneakily let me watch them, um, or I'd go to friends' houses and they'd, they'd you know, would sit and watch Nightmare on the Street or some um, American Wolf in London repeatedly. Um, so it's, yeah, it all sort of ties into that uh, open aspect of, you know, I'm not supposed to be doing this, but I am. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that kind of illicit thrill that you get from from doing something you know you're not really meant to do. Forbidden fruit, as it will, as, as it were. Yes. So, did your mother um, 
impart to you any sort of wisdom in relation to, you know, how to approach the subject material? You know, did she tell you that this stuff is just supposed to be for entertainment or did she just let you watch it and get scared and say, you know, I think she was very, very clear. It's hard to recall properly, but I'm pretty sure she would have been very clear about the fact that it was all make believe. It was all pretend and it's catch up, you know, um, but she would always say, you know, if you get scared, switch it off. <laughs> Which made me want to watch it all the more. Why? Um, I guess because I wanted to see if I could sit through it. <laughs> yeah, if it's I a challenge. Be, be scared and sit with No, your parents tell you, yeah, uh, you exactly. know, if like, you get scared, turn it off. It's, you can't tell a child that and not expect them to rebel and say, well, I'm going to watch the whole thing now. Exactly. <laughs> but then, you know, when, when you have um, uh, friends that, are also of the same age and you all know you shouldn't be watching something together there's that sort of group mentality of you know we'll, we'll all get together when the parents are out and mm-hmm. we'll put one on mm-hmm. and it'll be fun and it usually was they didn't tease you uh did the older ones tease the younger ones that kind of thing um no i don't think so okay. no i don't remember being teased too much did any of these experiences introduce any fears that you hadn't had before or make you cause, cause you to change your behavior in any way I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I've changed my behavior because of them, but that I, I guess the main thought or the overriding um, emotion was, was the fear of people was creeping in more, more than the fear of the fear of the supernatural. I was sort of starting to gain a fear of, of people, of adults, of how uh, malevolent and nasty some people can be. Was that... Was that because of the Dead and Buried movie or because of other experience you had in your childhood? Um, probably a little of both. Did you guys celebrate Halloween over there? Uh, we did. We did as kids, yeah. Um, um, we used to get dressed up and go trick-or-treating with friends. Do you have a favorite costume? I did. My, my mother used to put makeup on us, and uh, I remember once I wanted to be a zombie, so she got one of my stepfather's shirts, and we tore it up and covered it in blood, and and it turned out it was his most expensive shirt that he oh, was. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. But the deed was yeah. already done. And it wasn't your fault. She made the costume. So he was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolved of all. I wonder, was that, uh, was that also your least favorite costume because of the aftermath? Or, or did you have another costume that was least favorite just because <laughs> being cumbersome or, or anything? No, not that I remember. I think I think one year when I was very young, I, I, I was a crap vampire. <laughs> I didn't like that one. Yeah, too much makeup. Did you not enjoy the process of uh, of getting dressed up, or was it you just were more focused on the candy? <laughs> I, I did enjoy all the yeah the process of being able to be weird for one night a year at least. You know, everyone else is doing it as well, so you don't sort of feel mm. as odd. <laughs> <laughs> did you have any really scary dreams as a kid? Yes, I used to have terrible nightmares. And, I, and I, I know in hindsight it's because I was a child of divorce and there was a lot of arguing in the house. And, but I used to have um, a recurring dream, which terrified me so much as a child that it's, it stuck with me through to adulthood. I don't have the dreams anymore, but I get a similar sort of feeling of dread occasionally um, and sleep apnea, I guess. But the, uh, I always remember, and, and this is through a child's mind, this dream, so it seems a little bit daft. But uh, the first dream I had, I still vividly remember about this this person. I, I lived in a house for some reason with this person that I would never see. I was aware that he or she or it was, was there. 
and that we used to share a bed together and I was never allowed to look at the person. And in my dream, there was a conversation with a neighbour and the neighbour said, oh, there's this really good rabbit movie on tonight. <laughs> we should probably watership that. <laughs> um, there's a good rabbit movie on tonight and I, and I know this person that you live with will really enjoy it. So I was like, oh, yes, I'm going to have the bed to myself and I can spread out and relax and not be terrified that this person's going to be mm. in there. So in my dream, I got into bed and then I, I sort of spread out and then I was bitten on the hand. So this person was in the bed, um, hiding under the covers and had, had waited for me to do this and then bitten me. But then it, it sort of went on through my dreams that it was a person with, with no mm -hmm. face. Um, you know, a bit like Jacob's Ladder and there's that guy with no face just shaking his head around. So it was this character that, that then would appear fairly often in my dreams. Did it start off as just like a, a concept? Because it almost sounds like one of those one of those dream-like things where you never actually see the person that you live with in this house that is there, but you never see them. Like you, you never even see them from behind and don't see their face. You just never see them. But just, I, I don't know, I've noticed sometimes mm. with dreams, you don't have to have any visual representation or even an object in the dream, but you just un it's understood in your mind that this thing is this thing. Yeah, exactly that. And then yeah. over time, it started to manifest more into a, into a person just with the Jacob's Ladder no face. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But it, it was, it was I, know, I know for a stage of months, it was nearly every night I was having dreams about this person. And I think that's why it's stuck with me to today, because it was probably a very formative mm -hmm. time in my life. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't remember having nightmares before or after that. But for, for a long period there, I was having these you know, recurring nightmares. And I was always terrified of, you know, putting your hands or feet outside the covers. Mm -hmm. Pull the duvet right up over your head. Uh, sure, it was a great time for my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Hearing me screaming for her every night. Kid again. <laughs> <laughs> Stop giving me cheese before bed. <laughs> yeah, I can understand, you know, as you say, being a child of, of divorce. And if there's, you know, drama going on in the house that... Uh, you know, there can be a lot of fear mm. associated with that. Um, and like you say, to a child's mind, interpreting that symbolically as there being this thing that's going to hurt me if I touch it. So I don't want to go there. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so looking back then over the things that we've talked about for childhood here, um, if you were to summarize whether or not horror in your childhood made you happy, um, it sounds like it w the answer was more yes, uh, because you did get to watch some movies that your mother had taped for you. You got to go experience some things over at your friend's place when you went to, to go over there. You mentioned these two experiences mm. where even though it, it scared you, you did say that you felt somewhat honored to have had the experience. Um, so overall, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'd say, I'd say overall positive for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so what about teenage years what were some yeah. of the um stories or books or movies that were um influential or or even just impressed in your memory as being special yeah so um definitely the exorcist that was a big oh, one yeah. for me yeah nightmare on street movies uh the first one really stuck with me i was very impressed mm -hmm. by that uh, that's uh, Reanimator was a big one. I love Reanimator to this day. Um, 
Return of the Living Dead, uh, The Thing, The Stuff. Oh, yeah, there were so, so many great movies. Being, that was a great stuff, one. You know, being the 80s as well. Yeah, that was fantastic. I still love that. And I guess, yeah, all the entity and poltergeist as well. I was, I was, I was still interested in ghost stories. Entity. Why does that one sound familiar? The entity. That was basically based on a true story, apparently, about uh, a woman who sort of gets repeatedly raped by a ghost. I remember hearing something about um, that. It's pretty full on. Yeah. But yeah, ghost, ghost stories I was still interested in to a degree, but I, I guess I was sort of starting to lean more towards things like Bad Taste and Society, Evil Dead, you know, more, more the... Uh, Blood and Guts, um, Stalk and Slash cinema, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a, a revelation for me. Um, uh, Lucio Fulci movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, big, big Fulci fan. Um, and, you know, having more video nights with your friends as well. You know, alcohol starting to come into the picture and, you know, it's a party atmosphere. Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal Ferox. 20th anniversary uh, there, isn't it? No, did you? Yes, yeah, the Holocaust, yeah. A big thing for me was the fact that in the UK we went through the video nasty debacle mm -hmm. um, and the uh, DPP 39 list, or, or the prosecutor. The 39 list? Basically, uh, D DPP 39. It was basically a list of the, the, the banned movies, the movies that you weren't meant to be watching or have or sell or trade. Um, that became a shopping list for me, basically. So. <laughs> that which is advertised as you cannot have this is what you must have. Thanks for putting them all on a list for me. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. These are the absolute worst, most depraved films ever. This is where you can find them, and they're awful. Do not watch them. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, no, I, I made it like a real goal to try and collect as many of those yep. as I could. And you'd have to do it, you'd have to do it via snail mail mm -hmm. in those days um that's pre-internet um so you couldn't find anything online you couldn't download anything so it was all you know finding adverts in the back of horror magazines and sending letters to people making phone calls and trading horribly bootlegged vhs you know the kind of thing you can barely see through the snow Ooh, the did, did you ever get a one uh one, one of the copies that has like it's recorded from television and they actually leave the the commercials on there sometimes fast forwarded i don't know how it would happen i guess if they have a dual recorder but sometimes they would fast forward through the commercials at least but they would leave the commercials on there still yeah that, that happened a few times actually which was always annoying because then you knew it wasn't uncut. <laughs> it would have been recorded from the tv at some point yeah well yeah no they were they were great days with the, the vhs trading and yeah, so just collecting things like Cannibal Holocaust, and, and that's how I found you know, Necromantic as well. Um, the York puts going. Really? That that was originally. It wasn't on the list. It wasn't. It was banned in the UK, but it wasn't a part of the DPP thirty nine list. Um, but so uh, one of my traders basically said, you know, this this German movie, the guy who's real your dealer, and I, <laughs> my dealer, yeah, my guy, uh, my my dealer, my dealer, this guy. Yeah. Oh, and and he was great because he was a Scouse dwarf. So he had a Liverpoolian accent. He was from Liverpool, <laughs> and he was a dwarf. And he dealt with these videos from the back of his car. 
his, his catchphrase his catchphrase was uh, clear as a bell mate yeah clear as a bell because he'd say is it good, good quality <laughs> is it watchable clear as, clear as a bell mate <laughs> and they never were they were always oh yeah, yeah. advertise as but uh, not actually <laughs> <laughs> never actually watched any of them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt he did tippy toppy <laughs> never get high on your own supply Hell yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you said you were still uh, interested in ghost stories at that point. You were starting to get into blood and guts. Um, we kind of already talked about what interested you in the ghost stories. What, what interested you in the blood and guts stuff? I was definitely, this, I guess, more the uh, the body horror aspect. Mm. It was more. It's, it seems more grounded, you know, when it's. Uh, a human being taken apart. Are we talking body horror, like Cronenberg <laughs> like style, like not necessarily violence, but but actual transmogrification of flesh and things, like like supernatural molding of flesh? Yeah, like like um, uh, society. Ah, you know, yes. movie. Yeah, that kind of thing. That that was awesome. That fascinated me. And even even the stuff that you know when it sort of changes mm-hmm. physiologically changes the the bodies of the people that inhabit. Yeah, that was. The same for me around the same age was one of the first things around adolescence that I had seen that involved body horror was, was the stuff. And I just remember it being deeply unsettling at the time, but mm. I didn't even remember the specific images. And I'll like, I went back and rewatched it recently and the, like the scene where the guy's mouth opens up really wide and, and the dog. It's yeah. Pretty impressive special effects too. That's the one. Yeah. 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 And then you've got the thing of course as well. Yeah. Talk about that body just, horror. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. That was just the, the birth of an entirely new era of body horror. Not to discredit anyone like David Cronenberg, oh, yeah. but it's, it's, there was nothing like the thing. Oh, the thing. <laughs> no, Except no. for uh, who goes there, and I think the story that who goes there was based off of the, the thing is not the original thing, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. So you said body horror. Yeah, body horror, um, and then I guess uh, later teenage years. And, and this this links in with the the video nasties list because they have faces of mm-hmm. death on there. Um, but then you know, sort of seeking out shockumentaries and the Mondo mm-hmm. movies, um, which I think every teenage boy has done at some point, especially now with the oh, internet. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know the the, the realities of a very real physical. Did horror. you also feel cheated when you discovered that Faces of Death was ninety ninety percent not real? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I don't <laughs> Despite being scared at the time. Yeah, I guess it did produce the desired effect at the time, so better to find out in retrospect than beforehand. There's that. What do you mean my placebo worked? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, at the time, I just took it at face value. When, when they sprinkle in there, you know, abattoir scenes and the occasional aircraft disaster. Some of it was real. You mentioned that the body horror was more grounded. Um, what do you mean by that? Like in, in physicality, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, something in the shadows that uh, may or may not be happening as far as this supernatural, mm-hmm. um, the intangible. It's more, this is your body. Mm-hmm. This is what it can do. Yeah. So like, it's more of a fear of this could really happen. Yeah, not that yeah. it could really happen. Like someone's yeah. body can be morphed and twisted like that, like vicissitude or something. But I, I think the thing about body horror is that it's it hits home in that way that it's not something an, an animal attacking someone else and destroying their body or you know explosion or gunfights or something like that. It's someone's body being twisted, so it 
it, it almost emph- yeah. like a or your uh, empathically makes you feel that because it's happening to the human body. So that's the horror of it is that the body is being you can identify it with it more. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, you've, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's the, the empathy, yeah. So you uh, you still had some friends, I guess, then in your teenage years that were still watching this stuff with you. Did you have like a, a core group of friends who were interested in horror? Or did you, or was it just that you had friends and you also watched horror? Um, yeah, more that I had friends who also watched horror. Uh, I don't think there was anybody as freakily obsessive about horror (laughs) (laughs) you know they sort of come to me and say what have you got for us this week Martin (laughs) Um, (laughs) I can relate (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, but yeah most of the uh, movie nights we had I I would tend to monopolize I guess (laughs) but they were quite happy with it so you know I don't think I scarred too many young lives (laughs) 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 that I know of (laughs) just my own yeah did you have any um, any scary dreams as a teen? I think you said no. You only had the ones as the as the child, and then nothing before or since. You said no, no. I mean, I, occasionally, and, and it still happens occasionally. I get the um, psychopomp thing, you know, where you're sort of in and out of the dream stage. Not, yeah, more sleep paralysis, I guess. Um, that that happens. That happened right through teenage years, and, and still. Still happens occasionally, but not, not as much yeah, as it used to. I used to get that a lot in my mid twenties for some reason, but and then since then it calmed down. Mm. I've never gotten the, the uh, sleep paralysis. I've had the hypnic jerks, where you you know you for a split second feel like you're falling and yeah. you wake up instantly. But I, I have yet to experience sleep paralysis. And from what I've heard, I should count myself lucky because it is a terrifying thing to wake up and just not be able to move. Yeah. From what I understand, it's basically, it's like you're in, your body is in the process of waking up, but something about the process gets misaligned. So mm-hmm. your mind actually gets to be conscious before the rest of your body is ready to, to let you reassert control, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Running parallel to that when it happens to me is that I do get the feeling of somebody else in the mm-hmm. room as well. That, that that sort of remained, I guess, from yeah. childhood. For me, it was more more. Um, I felt like somebody must be holding me down, and the only I can, in retrospect, the only thing I can think of is I must have come to that conclusion because I couldn't move. I, yeah. Like that, that must have just been the only logical thing that my brain could. Somebody must be holding me down because I can't move. Yeah, and then as I got to be more awake, and it kept happening, um, I realized. It's not that someone is holding me down because I can't move at all. And if there was a person holding me down, I'd at least be able to move somewhat. Um, and then again, you know, twenties, not not knowing a whole lot, and not not even knowing that at the time I didn't even know sleep paralysis was a, was a thing. So then I start going mm-hmm. going thinking to myself, shit, are demons real? <laughs> you know, like uh, do it yeah, is there yeah. you know something supernatural keeping me from moving and eventually they just went away on their own. And it was like 10 years later that I, I read about sleep paralysis and I, you know, was like, Holy shit. Thank God. There weren't, uh, you know, invisible demons in my room holding me down. Right. Yeah. I think that's another thing is like with sleep paralysis, you, when your body's paralyzed, I don't know if it's a fight or flight thing, or maybe it's just an instinct thing. Your body not being in a normal state, being paralyzed, and just not the normal run of the mill business. The, 
I think the first defensive thing that you subconsciously think is, is there someone in the room? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, did you have anything that actually terrified you in real life as a teen? Like near death experiences or anything? Yeah, I was hit. I was hit by a car once, uh, which wasn't fun. No, uh, I imagine not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sort of running, running to catch a bus after school. I think, and I, I was following a friend, blind leading the blind. I just ran out into the road with him, and, and a car had just slammed into me. He was okay. He he got over first, but me being. Uh, the wheezy asthmatic was trying to, <laughs> trying to keep up with him and couldn't quite keep up. And yeah, I just remember the, seeing the car and then apparently it hit my legs and I, my head hit the bonnet. I went over the car and it had been raining, so I, I skidded a, a few meters on my face on the tarmac. And I sort of came to and there was a lot of people around me and, and all I remember is sort of sitting up and everyone saying, don't move, don't move. Yeah, sounds about right. And, and, I, and my first instinct was just to say, it's all right. My dad works at the hospital. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be all right. Point me in the right direction. I'm off. Right. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, I don't think it did. <laughs> it, it was pretty, pretty scary, really. But it, it didn't do any um, any real damage, I don't think. Well, saying that years later, I've developed a back issue, but... <laughs> I think that may, may be connected. Well, maybe it was because you didn't see it coming, and like the whole thing about how uh, drunk drivers never seem to get injured in in crashes because they go ragdoll limp. You didn't see it coming. You didn't tense up, so you oh, miraculously. I suspect he saw it coming at the last second. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You did say you saw the yeah, car, so yeah. I, I, have, I have a I have a memory of seeing the uh, yeah the car right there. Um, so were they not even coming to a stop or trying to stop? They they were just going full force. Yeah, yeah, just going full force. I think, I think actually, hearing back afterwards, they'd gone through a red light as well. Oh man! There was a, there was a crossing a little bit further down, which you know, in a school zone. Okay, wait. They ran a light, red light, and they were speeding in a school zone. Were they drinking? And, <laughs> and, and were they it's were they drinking too? <laughs> I don't know. I I, I I didn't even see the guy. Did, afterwards. Okay, wait. Was it hit and run? Did he take off? No, no. Apparently, the, the police had spoken to him, and he was a bit shaken up and. Yeah, I didn't really get all the details. My father probably got all the details. No. But yeah, that's the only uh, near near death experience. Anything else that legitimately terrified you? Um, and if not, that's fine. We we just have the questions in case they. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. Okay. Teenage years. No. How about Halloween? As a teen, Halloween as a teen didn't really happen. Um, no, I, I don't. I don't recall any Halloween memories as a teen. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, it, it would just be another excuse for a movie night around mm-hmm. the night house. Um, so is it that, that yeah, you don't that remember age. it or that you didn't celebrate it? More than I don't remember it, I think, because I, I still kind of celebrate it in a way. So I, I That's fair. imagine that would have That's fair. been a constant. Um, but yeah, I just I don't remember. Um, Certain activities when you're a teenager prevent memory and memory things. That's it. Alcohol and weed happened. <laughs> that might have had something to do with it. Uh, so, did the things that scared you? Did they um, cause you to change your behavior at all in any way? Maybe looking looking both ways before you cross oh, the road. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not trusting a red light. Use the crossing. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I don't think my behavior's changed at all during that time. All right, so I guess to summarize the uh, teenage years then, um, you were starting to get into the body horror and the blood and guts. 
Um, had you already started drawing by this time? Yes, yes. Um, I mean, I, I always drew when uh, even as a child. Actually, the same guy that went to the um, Haunted Inn with me at the Wax Museum, yeah. uh, we used to draw comic books together oh, right really? through school. And that, that carried on into teenage years. Were they horror-themed? Yeah, Ghostbusters. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> we we nice. Ghostbusters comics, but with, with more of a horror tangent. Hmm. Yeah. I think he's still got them all, actually. That is yeah. awesome. Your friend still has comics that you and him drew as a child. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, he sent me a couple of pictures not so long ago. But yeah, but going into teenage years, I was my, my drawings were getting a little bit more graphic, I guess. And, uh, and I, I remember at one point, my mother <laughs> being quite worried. That the teacher was, called home. <laughs> Martin's been drawing some strange things <laughs> in our class. And at one point, it was like... <laughs> Oh, she'd, she'd never stop me from drawing, but I do. Re- I do recall a conversation where she said, "You need to stop doing that." <laughs> <laughs> Just don't do it in public, because I'm tired of getting the phone calls. Like, I don't care if you draw fucked up things like decapitated bodies, but just not at the school, you know. <laughs> 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 just don't have them. I don't like love letters. <laughs> they were love letters. This one was a love letter to my teacher. That's why it was the lady who was skewered on Campbell Holocaust. <laughs> That's why I'm holding it in too hard. <laughs> well, I hope she at least appreciates yeah. your uh, career being uh, being what it is now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've been I've been lucky in that I've managed to make something yes. of it all. Yes, you have. Moving on to adult years, then, what were some of the um, scary stories or books or movies that have really influenced you as an adult or, or been really me- memorable? Uh, I guess as an adult, um, I mean, the reading material definitely changed. It was more, you know, sort of serial killer books as opposed to um, Stephen King stories, uh, sort of factual things. Um, there's, there's one book I have which I don't force it on friends, but. It, <laughs> It's it's a pretty grim book uh, called The Eyes by Aldo Ignacio something or other. It's it's basically a series of short stories that this this guy was a a big fan of Desaad and and he wrote these sort of mini confessions into his stories and they are incredibly sick twisted stories. And even at the back of the book, he's he's got his own uh, pornoglossier he calls it, which mm-hmm. is series of words and their associations to him it's just the most disturbing thing i've ever read um so that that's that's more the kind of reading i've done as an adult did you say it was called the eyes like e-y-e-s or the eyes like the eyes of march as in eyeballs yeah the eyes um yeah i, I made phil stevens read it and uh, <laughs> he thanks me so. <laughs> but yeah that that was that was pure nightmare fodder um and I, I've sort of brought parts of that into my own mm. writing as well. Mm. But yeah, um, more you know, move, movies. Um, I, I, I really enjoy the, the Japanese and Korean uh, ghost movies still because they they do it yeah. the best. Um, like The Ring, The Ring, and One Miss Call and The Grudge and all that. Yeah, kind of was thing. that one recently? Uh, the Wailing. I've, not seen that. I've just I've heard good things and I've heard it's is very good. It's Korean, I think, isn't it? The Wailing. Something about a. Uh, that's pretty topical right now, I think. It's a woman who moves into town and starts to spread a virus. But uh, I believe the virus is actually uh-huh. like a, some some form of a zombie virus and it turns people into zombies. Or, or maybe people just start dying, you think? What's that have to do with whaling? 
uh, something like the wailing of people that are dying. You can hear them off in the background. Oh, that or kind of wailing. Or... I'm thinking like the animal. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> no, not not like whale watching uh, Reykjavik massacre wailing. Like <laughs> harvesting them for blubber. I mean, like not not likely in Korea. <laughs> America, maybe or Japanese. No, I'm talking about Americans being fat blubber. Oh, huh. Yeah, I'll need to watch that one. So, serial books, uh, serial killer books, The Eyes, The Ring. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, and then and then of course I got more into the uh, sort of underground indie extreme movies, um, which is you know where I'm drawn to and where I get most mm-hmm. of my work, which uh, which is a blessing for me. But yeah, Marion Dora movies uh, can't get enough of those. And you get into things like, you know, your August Underground and Gateway Meets and No Holds Barred, disturbing movies I'm a big fan of now. So just out of curiosity, you mentioned, uh, you know, underground indie movies and things like that. So how did you go from, you know, the mainstream stuff in your teenage years to the um, the underground stuff in your adult years? What what drove you in that direction or or called out to you shall we say um <clears throat> well i guess you know as, as your, your brain and experiences develop over the years um uh, your tastes change you become uh, a little bit more cynical um start stiff arming anything that might be irrelevant or not appealing i mean i, I still watch mainstream movies I've, I've got a real fear now of uh home invasion movies especially or anything to do with kids terrifies me as well um like eden lake or uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's one called cherry, cherry tree lane um funny oh, games yeah. of course or uh i think there's one just called the children which is a odd movie where the all the kids get like a zombie virus but it's not it's more like a rage virus but it only affects those that haven't gone into puberty yet so all the children just turn against their parents and kill them that's another one i need to say i'm thinking i know that one yeah yeah, but I guess, um, yeah, I, I mean, you, you do, in a sense, it's unavoidable that you become slightly desensitized by um, repeated viewing of the same yeah. kind of thing. I was going to say, I think that's why you're going to indie films, is because you're looking for more of that, uh, the more extreme gore kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and just the fact that, you know, they've got no studios to answer to, and, and they can just express their arts freely and... and and I know, I know myself. Um, I've, I've recently started to understand the reasons why I, I gravitate towards that kind of movie. Do tell. Um, yes. Elaborate. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I. I guess. For for me personally, I know this isn't a therapy session, but um, for me, me personally, I I did have uh, mental health issues as a teenager and growing up, and anxiety and um, social anxiety and. Having talked to one of my many shrinks, um, <laughs> we, we've, I've figured out that basically what, what I do personally is I try and block out mm. negatives um, because I don't want that feeling of anxiety or worry or, um, you know, I don't want to invite misery into my life, basically. So you watch horror movies? <laughs> I know, I know, right? <laughs> it makes sense. There's, so, there's yeah. a point. I know. I just had to make. The, I just had to make the joke. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Continue. <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess you know I've, I've developed this uh, defense mechanism where I block out negatives, um, 
where I don't I don't allow myself to feel it. Um, but that has a knock-on effect whereby it's going to block out positives as well. So it's like subconscious um, lithium. Positive feelings and experiences. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can't sort of suppress one without suppressing the other emotion. Um, and what 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 the extreme horror in particular does for me is that um, it forces it forces me to feel something. It, it's it's a safe space for a start. Um, these things are happening on the screen. It's not happening in real life. So the, the fight or flight thing subconsciously it, it kicks in a little bit, but it's it's more that because these things are so extreme and graphic and not meant to be viewed as fun and hopefully not something you'll encounter in your daily life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, 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 it elicits that, that um, sort of rarefied feeling of, uh, of, of terror, of being scared. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that, that, that's my draw to it, I think, is that you know, when, I'm, when I'm watching movies, um, they can be beautiful movies. They don't necessarily have to be completely gory. Um, it, they excite me in a way that, um, that uh, life doesn't, I guess. <laughs> so does that, does that mean that, um, I'm going to say this. So is it all movies that affect you this way or just horror or, or just it's, it's, all, all movies, but horror more than, than like the, the effect, the effect is greater. Yeah, I guess the, the effect is more refined with, with horror movies. Well, you know, I, I, I do like um, normal movies too. I, I do get that feeling from, you know, well-made romance comedies or um, sci-fi movies. You know, I get excited for the new Star Wars movie as much as the next person. But it's it's more, yeah, rarefied and refined with, with the horror. Um, and that's been a constant throughout my life. So, you know, that's, that's where I go. That's my safe space. Hmm. Think of it this way. If horror is the orange flavor of food, you can get a little bit of orange flavor in something like orange duck or uh, a dish cooked with orange peels in it. But mm. uh, if you really want orange flavor, you drink orange juice. Yes, precisely. Analogies. I got it. <laughs> it's interesting because so, and I don't know if you and I had talked about this at all, but um part of the reason that Chris and I are a good team for this podcast is uh, he's the head drink on the board. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> I don't have any training per se, but I've also gone through years of therapy and 12 steps, 12 step program stuff. And, mm. um, and even long before that, even as a kid, I was always fascinated with understanding why people do the things they do. Um, mm. And in part of my journey, which I eventually then wrote a book and this is included in the book. Um, I learned that or realized that early in my childhood, um, I wasn't allowed to be angry from a very early age. And then somewhere in my teenage years, something happened where I then was no longer allowed to be very happy either. And so I kind of clamped a lid down on all those emotions. Um, and also from an early age, I wasn't allowed to really be very sad too much either, um, at least not out- outwardly. And so as an adult, I then had to learn how to allow myself to experience these emotions and basically say, fuck you, fuck the world. You know, the people who were 
blocking me from from doing this. One of them is dead, and I, I don't give a shit about him. And um, mm. you know, to to give myself the permission to participate in these emotions. Um, and yeah. I, I went through this um, pr- like a six month period in each of them because it, I didn't realize both of them at the same time. But the first one was uh, the, uh, the happiness. I think I, I realized first and then later picked up on the, the anger part of it. And so for the happiness, mm-hmm. for example, the door swung completely open and I would catch myself being much louder when I laughed and much more um, open with my humor than I had when I was younger. And there was, there were these self-conscious moments where previously, and this was the trigger that, that made me realize it was there were times where I'd be out with my friends and I'd be laughing and I'd get self-conscious and I'd shut down and, 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 trying to work that through in my head and go and ask myself, why am I shutting down like that? That's where I realized, Oh, my stepfather made fun of me that one time. And, and so I stopped laughing after that. And, and it was that process of unlearning it that, okay, then I opened the door and there were times that I caught myself. I was self-conscious. Well, not that I caught myself. I was self-conscious. I realized that I was laughing way louder than I normally would have. But at that moment, mm-hmm. I then gave myself permission to say, you know what? It's okay that I do this. I'm letting myself do this. I want to do this. And Ooh. and it was like a six-month arc, shall we say, of the door swinging open way wider than it probably should have. And then me kind of bringing you back a little bit and, and getting to yeah. what's probably a, a, a normal amount, <laughs> socially speaking. And then like a year later, I had the same realization with anger. Um Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to hear you say that this this may have been related to a defense mechanism for you where maybe you weren't allowing yourself to feel things. Um, so maybe this was, a like you say, a safe place for you to do so. Interesting. Yeah. Or as Chris likes to say, interdasting. <laughs> interdasting. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Oh. Yeah. No, that makes complete sense to me too. Yeah. This this may be the easiest uh, easiest call that we've had so far because you already came knowing <laughs> knowing the uh, what it was for you. I mean, every other call it, that's the the challenge is to try to figure out you know what yeah. is the driving thing. Well, to to be truthful, for for years and years, I've, I've not known the reason. I've not known why, mm. and it yeah, it took various traumas along the way to to sort of finally figure out why, um, which. It's only happened over the last year, I'd say, really. Yeah. And I've, uh, I've put, a, put a finger on it. Well, I'm glad that you've been able to. Hmm. <laughs> Me too. I don't feel quite so weird anymore. Right. Yeah, yeah. And- <laughs> Resolution and, uh, what's the word, solvency is, yeah. is always a good thing. Well, it- because you do get asked very often, you know, why are you watching this? What, what do you get? <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that I wanted to do this podcast is because, you know, to be a little blunt about it, from the point of view of the mainstream world, I mean, a lot of the people who are into this kind of thing, the rest of the world looks at you and goes, what the hell is fucking wrong with you? Um, depending on how deep you are into it. Um, but you know, knowing a a number of people who do like this stuff, people are people like there, there's can't remember the, uh, the phrase, but they're like, I think it's the Shinto religion. That's something about, um, 
there's nothing evil in nature uh and this stuff is natural i mean it, if it, it has to be natural because it's happening to people if it wasn't natural it wouldn't be happening at all um Ooh. so coming to understand what it is that's going on and, and allowing maybe the rest of the world to come to understand hey you know these are normal people going through normal things uh and yeah. it just happens to point them in this direction that you know yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, these these normal, so-called normal people, especially with the internet now, the real violence is is just presented so in such a cavalier manner. And that that that's what disturbs me. That that's what upsets me. That you know, kids are posting videos online of you know other kids being beaten up, and and you know, there's a lot of real death stuff online as well, which is too easily accessed. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. And you know, but that, but that's you know that, that's okay for them. Uh, <laughs> they can share that online with their friends, and yeah. you know, be proud of the fact they kick the crap out of some poor autistic boy. Yeah. Well, there's that. There's also you know people who have different. Um, I don't want to use the word fetishes because that's although that's true too. Um, there are certain. I mean, just let's mention fetishes first. So there are fetishes mm-hmm. that some people are are so strongly attracted to that they can't find um, gratification through any other means. And so those, that's another group of the population that has to struggle with fitting into the rest of the world. There's also people who don't necessarily have a fetish in terms of, you know, like a foot fetish or a whatever fetish, but, you know, for example, Chris, I think even made a joke earlier before we started the call about polyamory, you know, that's something that's, extremely if that's what makes you happy it's extremely hard to find a a loving relationship and a lasting one that can accommodate that you know what i mean yeah Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. there are a lot of things in the in this world uh, that we as human beings find ourselves into that as you say some of the things are permitted by by society like you know throwing up videos of people fighting and some things Ooh. are not. Um, it's kind of ridiculous who you know who gets to say what's acceptable and what's not. But we don't yeah, have any control yeah. of that. All we can do is talk about it and say you know we're not that weird. Um, <laughs> although I'm saying we, I'm not, I'm not. I almost don't want to say this, but I'm not really the big horror fan of the three of us. Um, Chris is the horror yeah, fan. I'm, yeah. I'm more the psychological guy. Um, I'm sorry. What I've, I've been distracted. I was watching Peter Jackson put his brains back in his head. <laughs> Case in point. <laughs> Case in point. Not so, Chris. <laughs> so nothing, and that's the point. Ah. <laughs> Uh, so uh, some of these questions we don't even really need to go through at this point, but just for the sake of uh, going through them, I guess let's let's run through a couple yeah. more. Um, have you continued participating in Halloween as an adult? Um, only in as much as I have young children now. So yeah, I, I like okay. I like them to participate. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. vicariously participating in Halloween. Okay. Yeah. Any uh, especially enjoyable memories? Regarding your children's Halloweens so far, hmm. not especially, I guess. I mean, you know, just the just the, just the regular excitement the children have about 
you know, getting candy from strangers. Right. <laughs> I mean, when you put it that way. And they, and, but they, they do like dressing up. They found a, a box of, of my, some of my old dressing up things, which included a, you know, Freddy Krueger Leatherface mask. Mm. And they, they get a real kick out of uh, running around wearing those. Oh, I wanted to ask you about that. I Thank you for reminding me. Um, you had mentioned when you mentioned Texas Chainsaw, you were used the word a revelation. And I wanted to ask mm. you to explain what you meant by that. In so much as the film itself, the subject matter, because um, I knew it was based on, on the Ecking yeah. story, mm-hmm. uh, it seemed so well done to me. And the pathos you feel towards Leatherface himself, as Toby Hooper puts it, you know, he's just a regular guy that had a really bad day. Um, <laughs> and the fact that there's minimal blood in the movie, there's no gore whatsoever. Yeah. But you sort of remember afterwards, you you sort of remember it. You fill in the gaps. You think, oh, no, he chainsawed that guy in half and there was blood and guts everywhere. And there really wasn't. It's all in, A lot of it's implied. Uh, yeah, there's maybe dried blood over things, but you're right. There's no actual active blood in no, Texas Chainsaw. That's it. And the whole sort of channel house atmosphere and the fact it pretty much was at the time an indie movie. Yeah, a shoestring budget. Well, you mentioned specifically the word revelation. What what was revealed to you? I guess because you could make a movie like that with such a low budget and tell that story without excessive blood and gore. And and I, and I know for a long time I'd heard of the movie and I couldn't get hold of it because it was one of the banned movies in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. So re- receiving a bootleg of that movie, um, I was I was elated at the time when I got that and I sat down I think I watched it uh, three times in a row just kept rewinding the tape and watching it again um, <laughs> it, it, it just blew me away like uh, no other film had for a very long time mm. it, it probably you know it, it, it elicited that feeling that I look for um, subconsciously and it's probably one of my most watched movies full stop um, you know I revisit that would you say it's the film that you've watched more times than any other film? Yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it? I'd, I'd say it's, yeah, it's definitely up there. Yeah, it's definitely up there. And The Exorcist I've watched yeah, a thousand times, I think. Cannibal Holocaust. Is that just thinking about horror movies, or is that across all movies? Probably more so horror, um, because I do... I, I revisit quite often Jaws. It's one of my favourite movies. Um, I guess that's kind of horror still, isn't it? Though um, oh, yeah. I love uh, the movie Quadrophenia, um, the Who movie. I, I revisit that fairly often. And um, The Elephant Man is my all-time favourite movie, so I'd say that's the one I've watched more than any other, thinking about it. Probably The Elephant Man. Uh, with Nail and I. Out of curiosity, why is that one your favourite? Um, I saw it at a really young age, and... Um, and the empathy I had towards John Merrick. It's just a really moving story, and it's beautifully made, beautifully acted. The soundtrack is... Just everything about the movie is perfect for me. Okay. And I, I could literally just pop that on at any time and sit through it. Um, it never gets old. That, that kind of ties in with um, some of the things that we were talking about. I was thinking to myself, um, you know, th- that question is towards the end of our interviews as uh, an opportunity to, you know, 
as we interview people, sometimes the movie that they have watched more times than any other is not a horror movie. Like, for example, for me, it was Monty Python's Search for the Holy Grail. Um, <laughs> but, but knowing that that there's this other movie that doesn't fit into horror that is their most watched movie sometimes gives you a little bit of an insight into something that you may not have understood if you hadn't asked that question. Um, no, I think it might be a horror movie. It's David Lynch. What's David Yay. Lynch? <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Oh, you're talking about Elf. 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 I, uh, never actually see it. Well, 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 what I was thinking is as I'm, you know, listening to what he said, the thing that he touched on was the empathy towards Merrick, which ties in with mm-hmm. what we had talked about earlier about the defense mechanism and being able to f- allow himself to feel certain emotions. So mm-hmm. empathy might be one of those emotions. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that we all love of cinema or storytelling or any kind of entertainment as such is that, that, that it spawns for lack of a better term uh emotions in you that are usually i don't know dormant just going through life we're almost programmed for like better term again yeah. <laughs> um to uh to quell emotions you know to to just get by the get through the day and get the thing done you don't worry about emotions you go sometimes to, it gets to the point where you go watch things um entertain yourself with stories and cinema and movies and that way you're uh you're almost imbibing that emotion like it would like it was a meal of some sort yeah yeah so two last questions really here we can skip some of the other ones um do you see any common threads about what kind of horror you like cannibalism body horror occult metaphysical ghost stories you mentioned it sounded like the the two main ones were ghost stories and body horror yeah i guess they are yeah okay yeah that's probably the the most common thread would be the, uh, I guess, the body horror combination. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the last question we were just talking a minute ago about, um, you know, your favorite movies and, for example, empathy and in some of these allow these movies allowing you to feel things. And so the last question though is then why horror specifically? Because, you know, there are all kinds of different genres that, for example, elicit emotions. Um, mm-hmm but you seem to have a, a thing for horror. Do you, do you know why it is that you prefer horror over other genres that might elicit those same reactions? Yeah, I don't know. I think it just it ties back into this um, the sort of fight-or-flight safe space. I think that's, that's, at a primal level, that's probably a more ready and natural emotion that everybody has. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of, yeah, the circumstances I mentioned before, I think that being such a powerful emotion, I, I do get a kick out of it. <laughs> I get a kick out of being able to, being allowed to feel that. And that, that you can only really find in horror or possibly a really good drama. That's that's true. It, where I was thinking of going with this, uh, it, it might just be a social thing. I mean, um, let's face it, it's for a guy to be a, a fan of rom-coms is not <laughs> you know yeah you know, <laughs> you know yeah i mean there's... again the, the graduate is one of my favorite movies what's that you know? the graduate is one of my favorite movies it's classic classic rom-com but yeah you're right there's a big social aspect i mean especially for me with with what i do with the art and everything as well um that was the other the... thing i was thinking too is you mentioned uh 
you know, safe space, but I was thinking your art, how can I say this? Just to use rom-com as again, as an example, again, you know, you could have gotten into comic book work that, you know, there were, I'm trying to think what the heck the names of them were, but, um, like the old gold key comics and valiant or Prince valiant. And, you know, there's, there's a whole, um, area of comic art that is classical for better, for a better word, lack of a better word. Um, yeah, you could have been a sad sack writing family circus (laughs) in the Sunday paper. Um, (laughs) you could have, but where I was going with this is it just so happened that the things that you were watching is that then what you wound up drawing and it, it almost kinds of becomes a symbiotic thing because the things that you get better at drawing, are the things that you wind up being hired to do, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that is a, a, a huge part of, of why I do it, I think. So it's all encompassing for me. It's um, Right, it's mixed perfect. Yeah, you know, it's not just that I sit down and watch horror movies, but then I, I sit down and I draw pictures of the horrible things I've just seen on screen. <laughs> uh, other, other people get to see them and enjoy them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But there's a, there's a pretty big um, horror community out there, and, and you know, I didn't like to feel part of something. Yeah. Um, that was one of the questions we skipped, actually. It was at, are, are you part of uh, any kind of social uh, organization related to your horror stuff now? Or do you, as an adult, do you have a group of friends who are horror fans? Yeah, yeah. There's um, a couple of people locally that, that are horror fans that share that, uh, that with me. Um, but it's more, I mean, because I'm, I'm not from Australia, I moved here a few years ago. Um, it's, it's at a time in my life where it's pretty hard to go out and network face-to-face. So, you know, the, the internet has been um, has been my crutch since I've been out here. And, you know, I've, I've met a lot more people via Facebook and um, online. Yeah, if you've got kids, really. the internet is a handy thing because you can be doing what you got to do with the kids and then... Like I said, yeah, exactly. jump online and yeah. you can't, uh, kids or a busy job of some kind, or, you know, not too much free time in general anymore. Or, mm-hmm. or like Chris, you work out hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's an old man. It's kind of a similar answer. You know, the, uh, the adult horror running crew as it is, uh, is usually more, more often, uh, digital these days. It's how I met you, Martin and, uh, Anthony yeah. and Phil. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess to summarize the call, then you did. Sounds like you generally liked yeah, her. That, that's what I was, yeah. I was scrolling back up to look at the uh, the childhood, and so other than the one movie that scared him as a child, uh, you know, which everyone has, and that dude got lit on fire like perfect stranger. He was just taking pictures of a woman, fucking lit him on fire. Anyone would be afraid of that shit. <laughs> child. Yeah, <laughs> a six-year-old child. Yeah, but mm-hmm. other than that. <laughs> <laughs> generally good experience yeah it's probably uh, you know monopolized a great deal of my life to this point um, <laughs> yeah you could say so <laughs> alright well yeah it's been a blast man uh, yeah, it's thank been you for being fun. here Martin and uh, yeah thank you once again if anybody wants to check out any of the awesome artwork of Martin Traffer you can find that out at uh, is it just trafart.com or martintrafart.com uh, on Facebook it's just trafart um okay. on, on instagram as yeah martin traffic traffic we're going to put together a bio page for you on the horror makes us happy website and we can link to whatever you want there awesome yeah all right well 
Thank you once again, and thank you to anyone out there listening, and please do come visit us at HorrorMakesUsHappy.com. We have a schedule posted there to see who we're going to be interviewing next, as well as the people we'd like to interview. So if you do know anyone on that list or can uh, get us in contact with any of them, just give us a drop, uh, drop us a line, that thing. <laughs> or otherwise, just pop by the site and let us know how we're doing. HorrorMakesUsHappy.com.